0: Thank you, Mel, and worship team for leading us in worship this morning, and uh, as though there's not an, enough on our minds that praying for the peace of Jerusalem, and as the mountains surround Jerusalem, that God would watch over Israel at this time for those who have been aware of all the, the new barrage of, uh, of rockets that have been launched into Israel, and um, I've I haven't uh, heard, uh, just because of other things going on, what's been going on in the last 24 hours, but I know there was a call-up of the Milwim, the reserves and others, and let's just hope and pray it's not going to lead to another war in, in Gaza. So as I mentioned this morning, we're back. After two weeks apart as a community, we're back together. Last week, we were, we were of course, not able to meet due to the fact that over half of our congregation were evacuated and our synagogue building itself was in the middle of the fire zone and the 101 was shut down, but we're here. The last time I stood at this Bema giving a sermon, seems so surreal now, but we were mourning the slaughter of 11 Jewish neshamas that were killed in their synagogue in Pittsburgh. And yet here we are again, still in shock, still mourning, and we're still wrestling. Last Thursday morning, our community was reeling in shock from the shooting at Borderline here in Thousand Oaks, where 12 people were senselessly killed in another premeditated and planned attack. And most of us were still trying to make sense of all of this. And as I was learning of the ways our own synagogue and friends were affected by the shooting... The fires broke out, and most of us were evacuated that evening. I am happy to tell you that at least in our immediate congregation, our immediate members, nobody ended up losing their home. Thank God. There were some close calls. I know that that Jordan and that Jordan and Kate, I thought they were in here. Maybe they left. But their most of the, well, not most, but homes on their block were were destroyed. And it burned their fence down, burned, caught their fence on fire, but their house was untouched, thank God. And I know for us, our apartment buildings, the, the building closest to the park where we meet for Yom HaBikurim, that building wasn't too bad, but it did get a little a little damage. And had that caught fire, then we probably wouldn't have a home either. And so there are ways in which I'm both happy that our places were spared and that our synagogue is safe, but at the same time, we mourn for those who lost, especially for Lisa, where I saw Lisa back here whose parents lost their home and everything in the fire in paradise. And, uh, you know, our thoughts and More than just our prayers, that things that we can do to to be of service um, are so needed at this time. Many others have also experienced tremendous loss as the fires are still burning. This morning, the the Woolsey fire is 78% contained and has burned over 98,000 acres. 713 structures were destroyed, and so far there have been three fatalities, at least in the local fire. Many of our favorite places are gone. Jewish camps, JCA Shalom and Hess Kramer, as, lo- as well as Paramount Ranch, Malibu Creek State Park, among others. Just walking around our own neighborhood in Oak Park with re- our reminders all around us. And many of us, and many of you, also saw that devastation when you were driving here on the hills, on the hillsides along the 101. Our community is hurting. It's in pain. And when I say our community, I mean our community beyond just the walls of our own synagogue. I cannot even imagine what is happening in paradise where there is total devastation. Their entire town is gone and many died, and there are many more who are even unaccounted for at this time. I am honestly at a loss. In this week's parashah, Jacob is fleeing from his brother Esav, who wants to kill him. He stopped at a certain place to spend the night, and after laying his head down on a rock and falling asleep, he had a dream. In Jacob's dream, he saw a vision of a ladder that reached from the ground into heaven, and angels were ascending and then descending upon it. God spoke to him and relayed the promise of giving the land of Israel to him and his descendants that he would multiply Jacob's offering and that through his descendants all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. Then God concluded by reassuring Jacob that he would not abandon him, for he had made a promise to him. And this morning, God has not abandoned us. In verse 11, we read, <laughs> He encountered the place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. If you notice the repetition there, the word place, hamakom, is mentioned three times in just that one verse alone. The 15th century commentator, Barbanel, notes that verse 11 uses this word hamakom three times, and in just one verse, why, he asks, is there so much repetition? Rabbi Ismar Shorsh, the former chancellor of the Jewish Theological Seminary, writes, the Torah is not guilty of laziness here. Rather, the repetition suggests Tension. On the surface, the Torah conveys the unplanned nature of Jacob stopping for the night. The anonymity of the place reinforces the impression of happenstance, yet the site is hardly unimportant. Otherwise, why draw attention to it so intensively? The Torah repeats the word makom three times to emphasize not only the actual geographical place, but to point out that God brought Jacob to a place of tension. That is why, interestingly, there is another way to translate the word "vaifgaba-makom," the phrase "vaifgaba-makom." In rabbinic Hebrew, the common noun makom, the word for place, is often used as a proper noun for God, as one of the words for God, hamakom, like the presence is kind of the idea there. For example, when we greet mourners, traditionally we say, HaMakom <laughs> Betoch May the One, we see, usually say the One, but it literally means the place, <laughs> May the Presence, HaMakom <laughs> May the Holy One comfort you, the Presence comfort you among those who mourn in Zion and Jerusalem. Hence the phrase, when you understand that Makom is often translated Midrashically as God, that the phrase vaifgabamakom can also mean, midrashically, that Jacob encountered God, he met with God, or basically he turned to God in prayer. As Jacob is fleeing for his life from his brother Yaakov, he is caught in a place of tension. He's wrestling with God himself and the world in which he lives. Therefore, Rabbi Ismar Shorsh reminds us that those places of tension is where God is also accessible. Rabbi Shorsh goes on to write, he did much more than wait passively to fall asleep. When Jacob truly learned, as the divine name Makom makes crystal clear, is that God constitutes the space within which the cosmos exists. Or conversely, the cosmos is not the space within which God exists. And this profound insight on the infinite and unfathomable, unfathomable nature of God's grandeur affirms that God is accessible to us wherever we might find ourselves. Some sites are more sacred than others, but no corner of the world is devoid of God's presence. No message could have been more comforting for Jacob about to reenter the fundamental human condition of exile than the reality that God is near to us wherever we are. And listen to this. This is the last point. It is not the holiness of our setting, but the sincerity of our seeking that determines our ability to hear God's voice. Let me read that again. It is not the holiness of our setting, but the sincerity of our seeking that determines our ability to hear God's voice. It was in this place of uncertainty, in this place of tension, where Jacob encountered God, that is why the text can also be read as and Jacob encountered God. And the text goes on to say in verse 12, and he dreamed and beheld a ladder set upon the earth and its top reached into heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. Throughout Jewish history... Commentators have argued over the exact meaning of Jacob's vision. Interestingly, the vagueness of the Hebrew does not help in understanding it any better. In my opinion, there are actually two ways to interpret the phrase malachei elohim olim v'yoredim, that the angels of God ascend and descend on it. In the first way of reading this passage, in the literal sense, in the way that the Torah takes it, is that Jacob represents the medium by which God's blessings are imparted into the world, and whose descendants, after all the 12 tribes, who were also birthed in this parasha, further embody God's blessings in the earth. Therefore, on the Peshat, on the simple reading of this in the Torah, the story of Sulam Yaakov, of Jacob's ladder, is a reminder of God's direct interaction in the affairs of humanity. But then again, why do the angels first ascend and then descend? Doesn't this seem to be the opposite of what we would expect? If you see a ladder, wouldn't you expect angels to come down and then go up? But instead, they go up and then they come down. the sages understood this as a changing of the guard, if you will. The description is that the angels first descend and then de-descend, the opposite of what we would expect, which leads us to believe that there were angelic escorts with Yaakov as he fled his home. In the dream, Jacob was given the ability to see those angels who were with him ascend back into heaven as a new host of heaven, descend to meet him for the next stage of his journey. For the journey ahead will be full of trials as he is tricked and taken advantage of repeatedly by Levon. The new angelic escort will be with Yaakov to teach him what he needs to be in order to be a patriarch of Israel and to turn what Levon meant for evil into blessing for Jacob and his family. Therefore, as a patriarch of the Jewish people, Yaakov served as an embodiment and a vehicle through which God's blessings would be imparted into the earth. But there's one more point, and it's another way to read that phrase Malachim Elohim Olim V'yordim Bo, and it's the way that we interpret the last word Bo. Because bo can mean on it, meaning the ladder, or on him. And Yeshua midrashically then takes advantage of the vagueness of that word bo. Does it mean on it or on him? In John chapter 1, verse 44, we read, One of the two who had heard Yohanan and had followed Yeshua was Andrew, the brother of Shimon Kepha. The first thing he did was to find his brother Shimon and tell him, we've found the Mashiach, right? We've found the Messiah. And he took him to Yeshua. Looking at him, Yeshua said, you are Shimon bar Yochanan, but you will be known as Kepha or Petros in Greek, Peter. And the word Kepha means rock. The next day, having decided to leave for the Galilee, Yeshua found Philip and said, follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the town where Andrew and Kepha lived. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the Torah and also the prophets. It's Yeshua bar Yosef from the Nazareth. And Nathanael answered him, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Got to remember that for those in the city, they viewed out in, you know, the Galilee, those are the country bumpkins, right? What good can come from there? Like, wouldn't you expect it to be from a mighty city where people are educated and know the ways, know the ways of the force? (laughs) And Philip said to him, come and see. It's an invitation. He didn't scold him. He said, instead of his response, could anything good come from there? And he said, come and see. Yeshua saw Nathanael coming toward him and remarked about him, here's a true son of Israel. Nothing false is in him. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Yeshua answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Yeshua answered him, you believe all of this just because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? Yes, you will see greater things than that. Then he said to him, Yes, indeed, I tell you that you will see heaven opened up and the angels of God going down and coming up on the Son of Man. The Hebrew phrase we earlier translated, and the angels of Hashem were ascending and descending upon it, can also be rendered, as I mentioned earlier, the angels of God ascended and descended upon him. And this is the understanding Yeshua midrashically applies to himself, where he says to Nat- Natanel, Elohim, olim v'yordim Yes, indeed, I tell you that you will see heaven opened up and angels of God ascending and descending on And the word instead of bo, which it says in the Torah for him or it, he says al ben hadam on the son of man. In this passage, Yeshua clarifies that he is now the embodiment and the vehicle of God's work in the earth, and that only through him is access to the heavenly realms. Jacob encountered God in a place of tension and uncertainty. It was only when everything was stripped from him and he is running for his life did he first have his first major encounter with God. This isn't the first time we see Yaakov, but this is the first time he has his own major encounter with God. It's when he's stripped down to nothing. Somehow in uncertainty, we are able to find certainty. Not in a place, but in God. As Rabbi Issamar Shorsh reminded us earlier, it is in those places of tension where God is often the most accessible, but also, at times, it can feel the most remote. What Jacob truly learned, though, as the divine name Makom makes crystal clear, is that God constitutes the space within which the cosmos exists. No message could have been more comforting for Jacob about to re-enter the fundamental human condition of exile than the reality that God is near to us wherever we are. And again, that phrase, it is not the holiness of the setting, but the sincerity of our seeking that determines our ability to hear God's voice. And that is why we read in the passage of John an invitation. Nathanael answered him, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And Philip said, come and see. The invitation in the midst of uncertainty was to come and see. This is why we see in Psalm 34 9 which reads kitov taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's that idea of come and see. It requires an action on our part. When we feel distant, when we feel we're uncertain, when we feel we're in the midst of what's, whatever's going on, we have to remember to taste and see that the Lord is good. As we all wrestle in this place of tension and uncertainty, our faith's rocked by everything going on around us, let's find shelter in God's presence. Let's encounter God in our pain, in our weakness, in our uncertainty. And let's take up the challenge in John to take a step of faith in the midst of trials to come and see. Let's find a way this morning to taste and see that the Lord is good. Because he is, even when we don't feel it. Even when he seems distant even when he seems remote. Because the reality is, that's actually where God is the most present, when we don't often realize it, when we don't feel it. Because it's finally when we're stripped down to nothing, when it's no longer about us or our feelings, (laughs) that God finds us. Avinu Malkenu, our father and our king. As we prayed earlier on this day in which we're experiencing this tension of both joy but also sadness, of anger but of relief, of sadness, God, we wrestle with all of these things but we know and we want to remind ourselves to taste and see that the Lord is good. Because God, it says that in the midst of our uncertainty, that blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And God, help us to find refuge in you. During this time of uncertainty, during this time of pain and difficulty, when all we have are unanswered questions, it seems like. God, we pray in our prayers of the Amidah, we say, Zur Yisrael, Kumah Bezrat Yisrael, rock of Israel, strengthen us. Be that rock, that foundation upon which we stand that cannot be moved or shaken. That though the waves may crash around against us, though fires may flame up and people fall, yet will we praise you that even in the valley of the shadow of death, we will do what seems impossible. We'll actually realize that there you are with us. We lift up to you everything that we're feeling because we know you can handle it. The grief and the pain the uncertainty, the questions, the wrestling, as well as the hope, as well as the happiness, as well as the relief and the goodness. Help us find our way back to you this morning, Lord God, in order to taste and see that the Lord is good. We pray all of this in the name of Yeshua. Amen.